welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. So I just wanted to thank um, the Dementia Guru for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. And uh, we have her on now. So if you just want like to introduce yourself and let us know exactly what your organization does for dementia. Hi. Great. So my name is Ashley Stevens, the Dementia Guru. And I am so excited to be here today um, with the Dementia Guru. I started about a year ago, and it started as a blog and really sharing my personal and professional experience working in the field of aging and working specifically with those living with dementia and their family caregivers. And so I have um, worked in the professional setting, working in long-term care communities and care homes. I've also worked in nonprofit with the Alzheimer's Association and uh, currently working with the state of North Carolina and the United States as a dementia practitioner and helping families to really navigate uh, care planning options and the importance of self-care and taking a break. So I have been doing this professionally But on a personal level, we have also experienced Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia in my own family. So this is dear to my heart, and I've had to be a caregiver in a personal setting as well. Oh, wow. That's really great. So definitely you have quite the knowledge and the personal experience to go with it. So that's fantastic. Um, So we'll start off with... um, the differences between Alzheimer's and dementia, because those two words are pretty much interchangeable. And if you can just give us a, a definition of what those are of both, that'd be great. Great. Yeah. So dementia is an umbrella term that we use in the field to kind of categorize a wide range of symptoms that are associated or lead to cognitive decline. So that umbrella term, um, it's pretty general and a a lot of different um, disorders and types of medical uh, conditions fall under that umbrella term. So we've got that large umbrella term dementia, and then Alzheimer's disease is one form of dementia. There's multiple forms of dementia, and Alzheimer's disease is one form of dementia. So I kind of like to think of it as, um, you know, the word fruit. When we talk about fruit, it's that larger umbrella term. Then we have different types of fruit. We've got oranges, apples, bananas, pears. And so fruit is that umbrella term as well as dementia is that umbrella term. And Alzheimer's disease is one form of dementia. And like I mentioned, there are different types and other forms of dementia like uh, Lewy body dementia, vascular dementia, Um, There can even be a mixed form of dementia. Sometimes we see that. Um, So again, it's that umbrella term um, used to categorize a group of symptoms that lead to memory loss. And we hear about Alzheimer's disease the most because it accounts for more than 60% of the cases that we actually hear about. And so um, the stages and the progression of Alzheimer's disease may look a little bit different in comparison to some of the other types of dementia. Um, And so a lot of times I I currently in my day-to-day work, I uh, work with and counsel a lot of family caregivers and they often ask the question, well, why does it matter? You know, we got the dementia diagnosis. That's all we need to know. 
But usually it, it is really important to have a more definitive diagnosis and know what type of dementia um, is um, actually what type of dementia the diagnosis is so that, you know, what part of the brain is being impacted, what medications might be helpful for that type of dementia, and the plan of care that your physician might um, put in place. So it is really important to understand the different types of dementia and what um, what to plan for, really. Great. Thank you. And then for the, for the family caregivers that you um, work with, how is, in terms of providing that type of support, as well as that type of education for them to now be able to support a family member that does have dementia? It's really important for the family to um, come together and to really sit down and look at a plan of care and support one of not one another, but also, you know, not forgetting themselves because it, it's really common for caregivers to put themselves on the back burner and be so involved in the day-to-day care for their loved one that they forget about themselves and they forget about their own health. They forget about their own mental well-being, their own emotional health. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we're actually seeing uh, where caregivers may pass away before the individual with the dementia diagnosis because of the toll that the caregiving has taken on the caregiver. So a lot of times when working with those caregivers, we are really encouraging the family to come together as a unit, but also for the caregiver to practice self-care. Self-care is so, 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 so important. And I could probably talk about self-care all day, um, but it's not just, you know, feel goods here and there. That's great, you know, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, that those things can be helpful and they can be a part of self-care, but self-care for the dementia caregiver may look a little bit more intentional. It might look like setting boundaries and saying, you know, I need to take a break. It may look like um, scheduling respite and scheduling those breaks. It may look like asking for help and asking family and friends to actually step in. So uh, that self-care, really working with those families to understand what it is and what it looks like individually for them, and then being intentional about practicing self-care and including that in their daily routine. Oh, great. And then for, I guess, for when that, um, because you mentioned about the self-care and that... um, you know, the overwhelmingness of caring for someone that does have dementia, because that uh, caregiver burden or caregiver burnout does happen. Um, so in terms of how that is transitioned for when you're supporting families in community, and then when they have to, when the progression of the disease uh, continues and they have to go into long-term care, now how does that look like and in terms of that type of planning and support? Right. And It's, you know, self-care is important for those who are caring for their loved one in the home and in the community, as well as caring for a loved one in a long-term care community. Um, And a lot of times that self-care is going to uh, involve the routines that they create when they are engaging with their loved one, when they're visiting their loved one, the plan of care that they're setting up with the long-term care community. Um, and I know right now it looks a little bit different because of COVID. And so uh, visiting and being able to be with your loved one as frequently um, is not 
possible because of COVID-19. So um, really helping those families to understand that, you know, that it may look different, we may have to be flexible, and then setting those boundaries for whenever they are going to visit. And so um, I know a, a lot of caregivers sometimes would have that challenge of, you know, when they're getting ready to leave their loved one from a visit at the long-term care community or the care home, um, that challenge and that guilt, that guilt, that feeling of guilt and shame of having to leave their loved one um, and not wanting to go and wanting to stay. So really being an intentional and setting those boundaries, which is self-care, setting those boundaries to say, okay, I'm coming from this time to this time. Here are the activities that we're going to do. And then here's my plan for when I do have to leave from visiting and, and being okay with that, you know, giving, giving yourself permission to set those boundaries. And, and, and you hired the professional long-term care community staff to do that work, to do the heavy lifting. And so giving yourself that permission to take that break, to step away, allow the professionals to do exactly what you hired them for and giving yourself that grace to go ahead and, you know, leave it and take that break that you really do deserve. Um, another important part as far as self-care, but also um, the supportive network, you know, at the long-term care community, there is staff there that are providing that professional care and there should be opportunities for you, for you as the caregiver to be able to have family care planning meetings and having those frequently so that, you know, maybe you're not doing the day-to-day -day work, but you have an idea, you have an, a sense of what's going on. You can be a part of that planning. You can be the advocate for your loved one and still be involved in the care and overseeing the care versus actually doing the personal care and doing the heavy lifting. So that is another part of that, you know, allowing yourself to kind of change your role as the caregiver. And like I mentioned, instead of doing the heavy lifting, the day-to-day, -day, relinquishing some of that to the professionals, allowing yourself to take a break and being involved in that family care planning as frequently as possible. And typically, from my experience, most long-term care communities do have that family care plan meeting, usually quarterly, where they've got some staff, care staff, CNAs involved. They might have the nurse involved. Even dining services might be involved. The executive director might be a part of that care planning, and the social worker could be involved. And so co connecting with them, communicating with them to determine when those meetings are and how you can be a part of that to um, oversee that care and be an advocate for your loved one in a long-term care community. So definitely what you're saying is that it definitely has to be part of the care plan and it has to be detailed and communication needs to be key yes. as to what resources that that long-term care may have, um, whether it be maybe a specialized um, long-term care facility where that's all that they do is they may have it as a memory care mm -hmm. type of um, facility um, or it's a mixed community. And let's say they don't have some of the resources there. Um, I know that people can go out in the community and what those resources may be to support um, that particular, you know, family member uh, in there. Is that what you're seeing in your um, work as well in terms of that type of mixed bag? Yes. And, and really first 
helping caregivers to understand the different types of support. So one, determining, okay, I need a support network. It takes a village to provide this care. And then identifying who those people are, who are my people who can support me. And then knowing and understanding that there's both informal care and there's also formal care. So that informal care may be your family, your friends, your neighbors, um, even church groups could be that a part of that in, informal uh, support network that you develop. And then formal support networks may look more like uh, government programs or larger organizations, nonprofits that offer programs and support services for family caregivers out in the community, just like you mentioned. Um, and one great example of this would be a support group. So caregiver support groups that are specifically focused on dementia care, how to process the disease, how to cope and develop coping skills uh, related to the disease and caregiving process. Uh, support groups are a great place to start for caregivers. They're usually out in the community. I've seen sometimes or even in the care home, they might offer a monthly support group for the family members of the community. And so those support groups are such an important piece to that support network that that caregiver is trying to develop because it allows the caregiver to get around other caregivers who really get it. They just they know, they understand, and they can meet that caregiver exactly where they are because they've been through it too. And I currently facilitate a support group as well. I've facilitated groups for many years. And um, that is the number one thing that we hear from the members is that, you know, I don't feel like I'm alone anymore because I've connected to this group who just gets it. And it allows them to come and to vent and to learn about the community resources that are available outside of the group. It also allows them to socially connect to a group of other caregivers. So sometimes caregivers feel really, really as isolated because of the dementia. Um, and especially for caregivers who are caring for someone in a long-term care community, they may really feel isolated now because they've relinquished that day-to-day -day caregiving role. And now they might have some feelings of guilt or shame associated with that and need to really connect to another social outlet that helps support them through that process, but also gives them a break from that caregiving. So support groups are a, a really great example of informal supports that are out in the community that allows caregivers to get connected, learn more about the disease, learn more about the local resources available in their community, and then learn more about themselves and their caregiving strengths. Yeah, absolutely. Because as well now during COVID-19 and, and a lot of these long-term care facilities have restricted in terms of the access that family members can have to visit their loved ones. Um, what are you hearing in regards to, you know, those family members now being isolated from not being able to see their loved ones and what that would may look like for some of the residents being in there uh, in these long-term care homes and not having that family connection? Yes, it's it's been very tough for a lot of the caregivers that I work with and have, you know, expressed the difficulties in not, especially in the beginning, not being able to see their loved one 
Um, not really clear on the procedures and policies that the long-term care community has in place, and maybe because they didn't have anything in place because this kind of, you know, shocked all of us. And so really kind of feeling that isolation because there's uncertainty about what to do and when they can go visit their loved one. And then just that that isolation of being apart from their loved one. Um, and also then learning, you know, there's been some opportunities too with COVID to actually learn how resilient we really are and different ways that we can actually connect to our loved ones who are in long-term care communities. And a lot of this is, as we know right now, is by using technology, you know, connecting virtually, looking at different applications that allow us to still see our loved one and feel that comfort and sense of um, security and, and allowing the individual living with dementia to also feel that sense of security as well. Because what I'm hearing from a lot of the family caregivers is that their loved one is also feeling isolated and kind of uncertain. Even though they may not know the details of everything going on, they have that feeling of isolation and loss because they don't get to see their loved one every single day or weekly like they used to in person. And we know how important human touch is. And so a lot of families are just upset, really just being frank and honest, upset and sad that they're not able to um, physically connect with their loved ones, hug their loved ones, um, and, and really lay eyes on their loved one and be able to kind of assess how they're doing and be there for them. So I have had some families who have contemplated moving their loved one out of the long-term care community and back into the home. And so this then becomes a bigger, a much bigger conversation because that's a lot of planning and thought thoughtfulness for the caregiver to really identify and assess if they're if they have the capacity to bring their loved one back home and if it's a safe environment for both them and their loved one. So um, a lot of coaching, a lot of um, processing with families about some of these big decisions because of that isolated feeling of not being able to be with their loved one as much. Definitely. And I know with uh, COVID-19 with us, and it will be with us for some time, hopefully um, there can be uh, mechanisms uh, in place to allow for, um, you know, these family members to be able to visit mm -hmm. um, in a very, you know, controlled manner. And so that can be, um, you know, I, I guess contained in regards to the COVID-19 and that everybody can still maintain um, that type of social interaction because that is very, very important. Um, and I, I guess what are the family members are saying in regards to that? Like, I know that they are talking, yes, they want to maybe take their loved ones out, but for the ones that aren't able to, and, and, and they really can't, um, as to how they can work with the long-term care facility to be able to have a little bit more social interaction with their family member. Right. And and that's when we, we really do go back to exactly what we were saying earlier with uh, care planning and communicating with the staff at the long-term care community and, and thinking, you know, creative, creatively and thinking outside of the box, allowing some flexibility because the staff is going to have to adjust as well and giving them some time to adjust to that. But 
um, really thinking about ways that we can use technology, like I mentioned earlier, yep. doing virtual visits, um, using Zoom, using um, smart home applications like Alexa or Google devices that help you to still see your loved one or offer you know daily reminders to your loved one, uh, video conferencing, family conferencing. Um, I've seen a, a lot of families who have gotten really creative and they've done um, virtual birthday parties. They've done virtual family uh, prayer calls. They've also done virtual coffee chats when their loved one wakes up. And so this does take a lot of planning. You really do have to communicate again with the staff at the long-term care community so that they can you know, assist your loved one in setting up the devices and getting everything in place. Um, but I, I've seen that that has really helped when you do have that open communication, you do plan those types of um, ways to connect. And it does offer a sense of um, just peace for the family and for their loved one to be connected. And, and also it, our support group, we've talked about this for a couple months now, and, and really the importance of connecting with the long-term care community and asking them up front, what are your policies? What are your procedures that you have in place due to this COVID-19? What are the cleaning and sanitation policies that you've now adapted? What are the visitation hours? Um, what is the policy for being able to set up virtual uh, social interaction time? And really getting a clear idea of what that long-term care community actually does and then going from there to set up something that works for the family and works for the staff. So again, it's that open communication with the long-term care community and the flexibility to, as we all kind of transition during this time. Absolutely, thank you so much. And I just wanted to, um, as well, I guess, how do people then get in touch with you in terms of um, maybe reaching out to your organization, the Dementia Guru, um, to be able to get some of the supports? Yes. So I um, have a website, and that website is www.thedementiaguru.com. Again, www.thedementiaguru.com. And on that website, I do post um, just resources and information related to caregiving and um, dementia and understanding the process of the disease. And I also am on social media, on Instagram, the same uh, handle, which is the Dementia Guru, as well as Facebook. And on there, I also do different series on how to cope with uh, caregiving stressors, how to implement and practice self-care and what that really looks like. And also just any information that helps caregivers to um, develop that resilience and that empowerment and, and um, self-efficacy. So that is uh, at the Dementia Guru for Instagram and my Facebook. And then if people want to reach out to me, they have specific questions or just any concerns or partnership ideas, they can reach me at my email, which is info at thedementiaguru.com. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to today's show. If you have any feedback on any episode or suggestions, please contact us on our social media on Twitter at Family Councils, on Facebook at Family Council Collaborative Alliance, and Instagram at FCCA0020. Thank you again for listening.